pathogen is a microorganism that causes a disease. They can be in the form of bacteria, viruses, protoctus, or fungi. There are two ways of pathogen can be transmitted, directly and indirectly. Direct transmission involves exchanging bodily fluids, such as sweat, saliva, or blood, and inhaling expulsion droplets from an infected person, and that's in form of coughing and sneezing. And then indirect transmission involves touching the surface of someone who has been infected. So for example, with COVID-19, if someone who was infected with the disease touched a table, if you were to touch that table and then touch your mouth, that would be a way for COVID-19 to be transmitted to you. Some of the defenses against pathogens in our bodies are primary defense and secondary defense. So everyone's body has a primary defense system. One of the main ones are the skin. This basically is just a barrier for any pathogens entering your body. So your skin provides a physical barrier of defense. Now, secondary defense, to get a bit more scientific, has many forms, and one of them I'm going to talk about is phagocytosis. And these are basically white blood cells that attack and kind of engulf um, pathogens that enter the body before they're able to trigger any specific immune response, which is the third type of defense, which is when your body basically coordinates a full um, immune response to that pathogen, and they start making antibodies antibodies are chemicals that basically destroy pathogens and the specific immune response is the last step and happens over a range of days whilst the primary and secondary defense can be happening all the time and um, is successful because as they've combated the disease we don't even fall sick. Pathogens relate to COVID-19 because COVID-19 is the disease that arises from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And as I said previously, pathogens, which being microorganisms that cause disease, can be viruses. It can be transmitted the same way pathogens are usually, in ways such as touching surfaces from someone who has it or inhaling cough droplets from someone who's sick from COVID-19. Some of the ways you can reduce transmission are washing your hands with soap and water regularly and using alcohol-based hand sanitizer as antibacterial hand sanitizer won't be any help to you because obviously, as I said before, COVID-19 is a virus, not a bacteria. Now, wearing a mask in public will protect others from yourself um, rather than protecting you from others. So that's why it's so important for everyone to wear a mask when they're going into social situations. And social distancing is another concept that's quite important. This is because, let's say someone has an explosive reaction, so that being coughing or sneezing, you're in an appropriate enough distance not to be infected with the virus itself. Um, and the last way you can reduce transmission is avoiding touching your face, um, and when you cough or sneeze, um, doing so into your elbow to avoid contamination with your hands. This, again, supports the fact that, you know, touching surfaces after being exposed to the virus can lead to indirect transmission. And touching your face, same thing. Um, that's just a way to prevent the pathogen from entering your body. So thank you for listening. Hi, I'm, I'm Tosin and this is Ichinu. Um, and I think we're going to start the recording now. We're very pleased to have you here, Priyanka. Priyanka, can you hear, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, the first question would be, um, how did you go into private um, equity? Sure, so I started my career in banking, which I think is the traditional way 
of going into an investment role. So I started off by working at an investment bank in New York called Goldman Sachs. And then after two years of working with them where I was banking different financial institutions. So I was doing investment banking on behalf of clients who are banks or insurance companies. I moved to London. I joined DPR. Okay. Um, and how did you get to where you are um, being a colored woman? Like, are there any particular challenges that you have faced in the industry? Good question. I think I've been very lucky by always having such a supportive network of family, friends, and also colleagues um, throughout all my internships and all my jobs. I think that, you know, globally we're having a lot of discussions about what does it mean to be a person of color in finance or just in the world, in the West, even in Africa, what are the implications? And I think these are important questions to discuss. And so I think I've been very lucky in my career where I've always sort of felt like I can and should speak up when I see something I'm not comfortable with. And I think when I look at, I have three younger siblings and I, when I look at the sort of things they're doing now and um, how they're participating in protests in the US, I think that it's actually the people who are younger than me who understand that even more so how important it is to sort of speak up. So how has it impacted my career? I'm sure in a lot of very subtle ways and maybe some less subtle ways, but I think the biggest impact, you know, being a person of color has had is this sense of responsibility that I, I should speak up when I see something I'm not comfortable with. Okay. Um, next question would be like, could you give us some insight in the different ways that you've helped like other Africans from other African countries in your industry? Sure. So um, I'm half Cameroonian as a start. And so, and I work at an African private equity firm. Um, and I think an interesting thing about being Cameroonian is that uh, a lot of people are bilingual. And so people speak both French and English, even though we're neighbors with Nigeria, we're also neighbors with other Francophone African countries. So we always sit at this intersection. So um, I feel like I've always tried to reach out to people who are, you know, from all over West Africa um, and all over Africa because I can relate because there aren't these sort of necessary cultural barriers or language barriers. Um, so I think a lot of it is informal mentoring. But when I was in college, I, I saw a real gap in the pipeline between sort of women of color um, and just women in general in finance. So with two friends, I created a program called Wellesley to Wall Street. And Wellesley is where I went to college. And the idea of this program is that we would help train people um, to better prepare for interviews and internships in finance. Because when I went to my first internships in finance, I looked around and I saw that there weren't that many women, there weren't that many women of color. And what, what I realized is I just, it's not that I was better or smarter than my classmates. It's simply that I had access to a lot of information that other people didn't have access to. So I think what I love about this program and I think what we should all be pushing to do, no matter where we are, is to democratize access to information. And do you have any advice for people on low income about saving and investing? Sure. So 
Um, saving is always a very tricky thing, especially when we're young or especially if we don't make a lot of money. Um, but I think that one of the sort of, I, th I think that one of the things that we often don't have in Africa is sort of a formal safety net. And what saving does is it provides you with sort of a rainy day fund. Um, and it doesn't need to be in a sort of formal structure. I think it's, it's, it's a really good step to try and get, um, if not a bank account, to start with a mobile money account, um, and to start saving sort of informally through that. But there's also things like community savings groups where you get together with a group of friends or family members that you trust. And every month you commit that you will put some sum of money in a pot. Um, so in Cameroon, we call these groups tontines and they've existed um, in Europe, in Africa. And basically it, it allows you to think of savings, not just as something that you can do to grow your wealth, but also a form of insurance. And that's, I think, just getting into the mindset that, you know, savings are a way to grow your wealth, but they're also a way to protect in the downside. And I think COVID has shown us that even when we feel we're very secure, there can be moments of intense insecurity that are unplanned for unexpected. So saving and just having that savings mindset is very important. I also, I also think that, um, in terms of how to, I, I think more and more there are different sort of financial solutions that are coming out across Africa in terms of savings accounts, and like I said, things around mobile money. So really trying to be innovative. Um, you don't have to just keep cash all the time. Um, it's, and now in 2020, we're learning that we shouldn't be handling cash as much because you could catch COVID. So I think, um, trying to think about the sort of different technologies that are coming out and how you can participate in the digital economy um, are very exciting. And another question we had that kind of leads into how, how do we manage money post COVID-19, especially in lower demographics? Yeah, I think one of the most important exercises that you can do is to make a budget. Um, and so what is a budget? The idea of a budget is you sort of, you want to record the money that's coming into you and the money that's you're spending so that you can project over a month or a year or a week um, how much money you'll have, how much money you'll need. And I think this is something we do quite naturally in our heads. And so you'll say, okay, I know I make X amount of money every week, or I, you know, I receive this amount of money. I know that the things I like to buy are this much. So you have this idea of your inflows and outflows, but I found the exercise of actually sitting down and writing them on a piece of paper is really important. Um, and it can help you think about how do you plan and what's sort of necessary and what's not necessary. I think once you have a budget, your next step is to think about your different financial goals. So maybe you would really like to buy, you know, a pair of sneakers or a cell phone, or maybe there's a, a novel you'd really like to buy or anything. 
you you know how much that thing costs you know how much you have now but a budget can help you visualize how to get to where you want to be and i think this is something that regardless of your financial situation you can you can sort of think through this exercise of budgeting to be able to set a, a framework to to get to your different financial goals and i think it's very important especially for young people and especially for women to articulate what their financial goals are it might be in 10 years i want to be able you know to pay for my sibling's school and i know how much school is uh, i want to be able to pay for my own textbooks these types of things um, we can try to plan for and it'll involve a lot of hard work but i think it can be very worthwhile because Financial independence is, is an amazing feeling and you know, not everyone can have it all the time, but it's something that we should all work towards. Um, and another question off the spur of my head would be, do you have any advice for um, young women who want to go into like, private equity or the finance sector and like just anything that they could do to boost their chances from a younger age and also like, kind of what you wish you would have done going into the sector, things that you could say we could do. Sure. So should I start by explaining what uh, private equity and finance and investment banking are? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it, would be, it would be helpful. So um, let's start with, uh, imagine you have a, a stand that sells uh, juice. You have a stand that sells juice. You and your sister or you and a friend start a juice stand and it's going well. You've developed a budget. You have a business plan for your juice stand. Um, why do you need finance and why do you need people like me? So after one or two years, maybe you decide to open another juice stand across, you know, in another in another town. And suddenly your business is more complex you want to open a third juice stand but you don't have enough money so you need to get a loan what an investment bank will do is they will advise companies um, on their sort of financial needs and they'll do it at every stage of a company's growth usually obviously the companies we work with are quite big but you can still take the example of a juice stand so um I want to borrow money from a financial institution, be it a bank or someone else, to be able to build my third juice stand. So I'll interact with an investment bank to help me do that. Um, in Nigeria, there's a stock exchange. I've borrowed money for my juice stand and I made so much money that I was able to open eight more juice stands all over Lagos. This is incredible. Suddenly I decide that I want to list my company on the Nigerian Stock Exchange. The person who's going to help me do that transaction is going to be an investment bank. So that's what I was doing when I started my career. After I've gone public, so I've, this means that I no longer own my company 100%. I've sold shares in my company so that other people can also own it and I can use that money to continue building out my business. So, that process is called an IPO, an initial public offering, um, and it's a huge moment for a lot of companies. After, after that happens, you might want to 
sell some of your uh, juice stands in Kano because maybe business isn't going too well there and you just want to focus on Lagos. The investment bank will be there, there then to help you think about how to divest or sell all of your eight lemonade stands in Kano. So that's the role of an investment bank. And when you are a junior person working at an investment bank, you are doing financial models. So that means you are thinking about the financials of a company. You are um, making presentations to present to different companies on your ideas. Um, and it's, it's really hard work. And I think it's very interesting because you get to learn about the world through all of the different companies you interact with. $50 or I'll give you X Naira and I want to own part of your juice stand and we'll be partners. So that's, you think about it and you say, well, I need the money if I want to open more juice stands. So I'll take their money and it's not a loan. I don't have to pay it back, but now they own the business with me. So they can, you know, maybe I'm still in charge, but they can still help me make decisions. And you know, you're really bringing in a partner. So a private equity firm is someone who will invest their own money or their, their investors' money into a business. And what a private equity fund wants to do is help businesses grow so that the $50 that they put in 2010, in 2020, because is worth a lot more money. Because let's say that they owned with $50, you get 50% of a company in 2010. And the company is worth X amount of money. In 2020, because you've opened so many lemonade stands with the help of your investment bankers and your friends and your family and advertising and all these great things, your company is going to be worth a lot more. So when the private equity firm sells part of its business, suddenly the private equity firm has made a lot of money. And the business is also bigger. So if it's done right, it should be a win-win for the founders or the management of the company and the private equity firm who comes in. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Did I answer your, I, I think I explained private equity and investment banking, but I'm not sure if I answered the first part of your question. Yeah, so the first part of my question was more like, um, how any advice you have for like young girls or particularly um, young people trying to go into the finance sector um, and what yeah. they could do um, like at each stage, like university, like what could, what could they study or like finding internships and stuff like that? Sure. So I think um, the first thing you should do is definitely push yourself to take more quantitative classes. So subjects like maths, economics, and accounting are really important. Finance is a way to help you understand the world, but a lot of that is through numbers. So you don't need to be a mathematician, but you do need to be really comfortable thinking about numbers and discussing the world in terms of numbers. Um, so the first thing I would do is push yourself to take more quantitative subjects. The second thing I would suggest is be very proactive. So, you know, these are jobs that are sometimes a bit difficult to get. So very early on, you need to begin networking with different people in the industry, reaching out to people, asking questions and learning. And I also think that, you know, internships can happen 
in lots of different places and in lots of unexpected ways. Even if you start off by working at just a shop, when you're at that shop, spending the time to make sure you understand the cash register, the financing, not being able, not being afraid to speak up and, you know, say, why don't we do it this way? Have you, you know, trying to think like with that banker mindset, which is how do I help grow this business? How do I think, do things better? Those are stories you can tell that, you know, that are really good. The, the former CEO of the company I used to work at started in the mailroom. So he was sorting letters, but he just did a really good job. And I don't think everyone can go from the mailroom to becoming a CEO. But I think that if you are smart and you work hard and you seize opportunities when you have them, I think you can go very far. So definitely pursuing internships, taking advantage of every job because every job that you, you can do will intersect with finance in some way. If, you know, if it's just sort of like a, working in a shop or whatever. So, so thinking about all those things and then reading as much as possible. So reading about finance, reading the news every day. So not just reading the sort of fun parts of the newspaper, but also reading about all of the different financial things that are happening. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening with the Naira. So being able to talk about, you know, the economy of Nigeria is really important because that's also finance. Thank you. Where would you say that you see yourself in the next couple of years? So I'm going back to school. So I'm going to be going to business school in the US so I can learn more about finance. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I think it's important to, to sort of never stop learning. Um, but after that, I think I'd like to uh, move back to Africa. I think maybe Cameroon. And I've spent a lot of time in finance. So maybe thinking about how to actually not just advise businesses or invest in businesses, but to actually work in a business. So work in a shop, work in a, you know, and actually have that skill set of being an operator. Um, and lastly, um, I was just going to ask regarding like COVID-19. So what do you see the future for the finance sector and how do you think it's going to impact it in the, like the couple, next coming years? That's a really good question. And I think it really depends what part of finance, you know, um, but how does it impact the private equity industry? I think it's left a lot of us a bit confused because when you are an investor, you're putting your money into a company. And now we just don't know how companies are going to do. Um, and in Africa in particular, you know, the number of cases have been growing slower than in sort of developing countries, but we don't have a lot of visibility on if that's going to continue because a lot of the sort of lockdown and curfews have been lifted um, people aren't necessarily wearing masks all the time. So I think as an investor, you're sort of waiting to see what will happen. Um, and you're hoping that you can travel soon again so that you can really get to understand what's going on on the ground. Do you think there are going to be specific sectors following this that are going to be more focused on in terms of investments? 
Absolutely. So in Nigeria, I think if you look at some sectors in the sort of financial technology space, they've become very interesting. I think that, so for example, the private equity firm I work for, um, we're an investor in Chicken Republic. So that's the chicken and fast food um, brand that's all over Nigeria. And that's a really cool investment because they've also started thinking more and more about deliveries. So even though they had to close a lot of their stores because of COVID, they also were able to continue doing business because they thought outside of the box and they thought about, you know, delivering directly to people's homes. They also have thought about, you know, different types of stores. So now there's things like Pi Express where you can just go up to the window um, and it feels like a little less risky uh, to, to do that. So I think that, you know, there are some businesses that are very obvious. So financial technology or technology in general, um, you know, things like Zoom seem like, in retrospect, they seem like they would have been great investments to make because now everyone's using them just because the way our world is. But then there are some things that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think would survive COVID, but if they are creative, have been able to. and might even succeed and come out the better for it. So it's not an easy answer, but I think uh, there's a silver lining for a lot of businesses. Thank you very much, Priyanka. Really, okay. and we're really lucky to have you speak on here. Um, no problem.